just well, I guess uh, pull up a stool. I feel like, uh, as you know, history. Like, uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, we call them fireside chats. I kind of feel like time to kind of sit down and hang out with you guys for a few minutes more than like you know, speaking to a huge audience. So maybe I'll pull up a stool tonight, hang out with you guys. I've been here over the last couple weekends, or last couple Wednesday nights, we've been talking about this idea of forgiveness. And uh, before we get started on my message tonight, I actually wanted to uh, start with kind of a, uh, I don't know whether you call it a game or whatever. I, w- I was originally going to call a few people up to the front, but instead I'm going to have you just kind of play this game with their, this activity with the person who's sitting next to you. So I want you to look to your left and look to your right, and uh, you're going to be making some faces at the person who is seated right to your left and right to your right. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you like something that's happened, and then you're going to give the face that you would make if that happened. Um, and this is your total chance to be cheesy, like, to, I mean, act it out. You know, you don't need to make noises, I mean, unless there's necessary noises, but it's all about the facial expression. So let's, uh, let's try an easy one. Uh, you just won a million dollars in a contest. Turn to the person next to you, show them your face. Okay. Somewhat boring, but excited. Okay, I, okay, not not bad, not bad. Here's one might be uh, a little bit more interesting. You have just seen the most terrifying moment in the horror movie you're watching right now. What does that look like? <laughs> Paul looks like he's like hugging the guy next to him. Scared over there. <laughs> All right. Uh, what about this one? You just heard a really strange noise. Give him that look. All right. Uh, you just smelled something awful. <laughs> all right, There's some interesting ones out there. Um, all right, try this one. Uh, you just forgave someone. All right, that one's that one's a little, little hard, isn't it? Like there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot. Like when you guys were doing the bad smells, you know, your face was all contorted up, and when you were, you know, there was like some fist bumps, and you know, when you won the money. And then I asked you, you know, what does forgiveness look like? And it was, some people were actually like, like, you know, they didn't know what to do. Like, a little awkward smile. Like, they tried to, like, make their eyes do something. Like, I don't even know what you guys were trying to do. Because I did this at home in front of the mirror. And I, and I tried, like, all these, like, like all these weird looks. And I'm like, this looks stupid. It doesn't look like I'm forgiving somebody. So I didn't really know what it was going to look like. But, you know, it, it is really hard to see what forgiveness looks like. And I don't just mean in the game or this little thing that you're trying to do with the person next to you. But, in fact, we don't know a whole lot about forgiveness. I think that the church does a decent job, not a great job, but a decent job, really pushing home the idea of how Christ has forgiven our sins. But then when it talks about us forgiving other people, unfortunately the church is somewhat quiet. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've tried to really delve into this idea of what is forgiveness and what does it have to do with me. And so, you know, we've talked a little bit about what forgiveness is and why we should do it. But tonight I want to go a little bit deeper. I want to look at what forgiveness really looks like. I want to talk about two ideas that forgiveness should be unlimitless. There should be no limit on forgiveness. And that forgiveness should also be unconditional. That there's no conditions. I forgiveness. So those two ideas, you'll kind of see woven in and out of what I talk about tonight, that forgiveness should be unlimitless, and forgiveness should be unconditional. So most of you have been on both sides of forgiveness at some point in your life. 
you've been the person who screwed up and needed to be forgiven, whether you initiated and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry, or whether someone's come to you and said, it's, it's okay, man. And maybe they don't say, I forgive you. But there's you know, some words exchanged, sometimes even a look or a certain touch. You know, sometimes those can be, I mean, guys are, guys are famous for this, for not saying a word, not changing a look. Um, you know, I've, I've been on both sides of forgiveness where, like, this extreme, deep healing forgiveness happened because the dude walked next to me and my shoulder touched his and we looked at each other like, yep, it's okay. And that was it. Like, we didn't have to, like, pour our hearts out, but, like, whatever that interaction is, most of us have known what it is like to be the forgiver and what it's like to be the forgiven. But tonight, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper than that because there's some things that are pretty easy to forgive. Most of the people that you care about the most, when they hurt you, there's kind of that overwhelming sense of like, well, my friendship is worth more than this. Or, yeah, they screwed up, but you know what? They're a really good person. I like them. I want to get past this. And forgiveness sometimes can come pretty easily. But I think the toughest spot to be in is when there's someone who's really, really deeply hurts you. Or even worse, when they've hurt you, you forgive them. And then they hurt you again. Sometimes it's even a cycle of, well, I did forgive them, but, there we go, joking me. I have forgiven them, but then they did it again. I mean, this could be physical hurts. This could be emotional hurts. This could be mental stuff. There's a lot of different ways that somebody can hurt you. And I think the toughest times to forgive is when you've forgiven somebody once, maybe even more than once, and you got burned. And you know, this is exactly what Peter goes to talk to Jesus about at one time. Um, we're going to throw up that first scripture. It's Matthew 18. 21 to 22, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered you, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And you know, the rabbis, which Jesus was kind of considered a rabbi at that time, the Jewish teaching, so all the Jewish people in this area, there had basically been a pretty popular teaching that you were supposed to forgive people three times. Throughout the Old Testament, if Israel, like God's chosen people, had screwed up, God basically like forgave them three times. Like they would screw up, he'd forgive them. They'd do it again, he'd forgive them. They'd do it again, he'd forgive them. They'd do it again, and then he'd squash them. Like they got like three, like four strikes they're out. Instead of three strikes they're out, the third strike is still safe. So this was this was the deal. They got three, like three forgiven, forgivenesses coming. So Peter probably thought he was being like, you know, Mr. Generous, Mr. Holy, and he goes, Seven times? You know, he's like, I'm double it. I'm way more forgiving than everybody else. More than double. And Jesus kind of, you know, kind of puts him in his place and says, nope, not seven. Seven times 70. Now, before you go, those of you who are like, uh, mental math, 490. And that's, some of you are like, I'm going to do this, but either way, some of you got to quit. But he wasn't talking about 490. In fact, the number seven and the number 70 are numbers that you see throughout all of the Bible. And they always represent completeness, perfectness. You know, God took seven days to complete and perfect the earth. There's a lot of different times where the number seven shows up. In fact, if you're ever interested in that kind of stuff, there's like, a, I don't even know if it's called numerology or whatever, but there's a study of numbers that if you look throughout scripture, 
there's a lot of numbers that are repeated a lot of times. Like three is a very popular number in the Bible. Six is actually the number of the beast, 666. Many of us know that. Like kind of, a, that has to go with Satan. But anytime six is in the Bible, there's some trouble going on. You ever look for six? It's a sign of like incomplete, or in fact, often of evil or imperfection. Uh, the number 40 is in the Bible all the time. Many people think of 40 days and nights. It's usually meant to create a, a certain span of time. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament that took 40 years. You know, Moses did this for 40 years, and then he did that for 40 years, and then the Israelites did this for 40 years. And so when he throws out those number seven, he's talking about perfectness. And so in fact, if you want to talk mathematics, it's not seven times 70 is 490. In fact, it's seven times 70 equals infinity, which means the idea that we talked about earlier, that forgiveness is without limit. So... You know, as Jesus begins to talk, we're going to go a little bit deeper into that scripture in a couple minutes, a little bit farther. Jesus understands the connection between forgiveness and how important it is because of its connection to love. In fact, when anybody talks about love in the Bible, if you've ever been to a wedding, if you've ever heard people call something the love chapter, does anybody know what that is? What, what book in the Bible and what chapter? Anybody know? Go ahead say it out. Well, there, there, I guess there, there's two different ways you can do it. Song of Solomon or Song of Songs is talking about the love between man and wife and, you know, men and women, that kind of romantic love. That's a big focus of that one. But what about, what about New Testament? Oh, come on. You guys got to know your Bible. What's the love chapter? If you've not been to enough weddings in your life, I don't know. In the, book of, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, that's the part where it goes, love is patient, love is kind. Now how many of you have heard that chapter before? Okay, more and more people. Good, good, good. Well, you know, as you look through that list, and I pull out a couple of things that are in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. It talks all about what love is. I want you to think about it maybe in this way. Think about it with the lens of kind of like how you're looking at it of forgiveness. Love is patient. Forgiveness takes patience because you know, if you're impatient, there's no way you're going to forgive that person. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Oh, man. You know we do that all the time. We remember all the stuff they did that hurt us and it makes, them, makes us hate them. It makes us not want to spend time with them. It makes us not, not even want to look at them. Also from 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things. If you bear something, you know, you're, you're willing to not just put up with it, but you're willing to handle it. willing to deal with it. Even if someone has hurt you, love never ends. Even when someone does something awful that hurts you. So Jesus gets this idea that forgiveness is part of loving other people. All of these things can be tied to a free and lasting forgiveness. Let's go on to a little bit farther in the book of Matthew. And this is going to be a really long scripture. In fact, there's this slide plus one more. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and read along. If you want to look on the screen, go ahead and read along. I'm going to read through this story. Uh, this is immediately following. You notice the last one was 18, 21, and 22. And so this is right afterwards. And Jesus is like, okay, you guys don't get this. Peter's asking seven, and that's supposed to be unlimited. And so I think I'm just going to tell a story, and I think they're going to get it when I tell the story. So here's how it goes. This is the parable that Jesus is speaking of, a story that he makes up to teach a lesson. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, another one calls it 10,000 talents, he was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged. 
and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. This is going to sound familiar, isn't it? He begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But the first servant refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. So then the master calls the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured so he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and your sister from your heart. You know, this guy, and this guy that first was forgiven but then wouldn't turn around and forgive, man, what a jerk. I mean, that's the first thought that come to my mind, like, Seriously? After what just happened to you? I mean, even us as outside readers, we saw the pattern repeat itself when we go, what a loser. How can he not turn? Selfish. This guy's awful. I mean, it even, you know, it calls it words like wicked and evil throughout the rest of the scripture. We're appalled at this guy's inconsistent view of morality, of what was right and wrong. And man, did he get the benefit on the first case. And then he goes off and completely flips it around. And, I mean, literally he's choking this guy. This guy's heart is unchanged. Unchanged by this amazingly gracious act by the master to just completely wipe out his debt. I mean, he's got this huge debt, and he, said, he talks about, I'm going to pay it off, I'm going to work it off, and the guy goes, no, it's gone. Whole debt, everything gone. You know, when I read this scripture, there's two really big things that kind of I noticed first. The first thing I noticed is that the forgiveness in this story and really everywhere is a gift to the undeserving. People who need to be forgiven are people who are sometimes pretty messed up or who have done some messed up things. They don't technically deserve to be treated great, to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift to the undeserving. And then number two, I notice, man, that servant's failure to see how inappropriate his response was to when he just got forgiven. In my mind, I consider this guy pretty stupid. Like, did you see what just happened to you? And this is how you respond? Well, let me break it down a little bit. And, and it talks about like some silver coins and some gold and stuff like that. And, and uh, even though now you hear all these commercials like, hey, come sell your gold, gold's at a high price. To us, I mean, you guys know about how, you know, money has changed hands. Even like, you know, how things that a million dollars today compared to like a million dollars a hundred years ago, like a million dollars was an incredible sum of money a hundred years ago. Well, it's still a lot. It's not what it used to be. You know, like, I, I'm a fifth grade teacher, and sometimes I talk to my students about even like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know that gas was a dollar a gallon. And you could go into like a gas station and you could get like a, a can of pop and a candy bar for like 60 cents or 75 cents for both of them put together. And this whole idea that money is 
not as valuable as it is now. So you hear about like you know a bag of silver coins, you're like, how much is that? Well, let me break it down to you a little bit. And there's a couple of different versions of scripture that describe it different. You heard me mention this idea of a talent. And basically, this is usually the most simple way that I've heard what is a talent worth. A talent is, well, let's say you had a talent to like do a job. It was, your talent was how much you would make if you started working on your talent when you were like 20 until you died. In other words, it was an entire lifetime of earning potential, whatever, like, if your talent was carpentry, it was from the time you started working as a carpenter until you either retired or died, how much would you have earned? That was a talent. And, and, and in fact, the scripture that I read it from says that he owed 10,000 talents. Today's money? Eight billion. How do you go in eight billion dollars in the debt? I mean, part of me says, who loaned to this guy money when he already lo- earned or owed seven billion? You know, like, Hey, can I borrow a billion dollars? Well, what's your credit like? Well, I owe seven billion. Here you go, here's a billion dollars. I mean, I don't know what bank is going to do that, but this guy owes eight billion dollars in today's money. I guess, you know, there's a credit crisis in America right now. The average family in America has about $16,000 of credit card debt. That has nothing to do with what they owe on their cars, what they owe on their home, or college, but just like, just straight up swiping the plastic. $16,000, $16,000, and it's going up literally like $1,000 every two years. It's climbing and climbing. So, I mean, you know, we consider this a huge debt if your family's like, you know, our credit cards are maxed out. And this guy goes, eight, owes $8 billion. I don't even understand how you owe that much. Basically, if we, if we, I mean, once he got to a million, you pretty much reached the point of this is impossible to pay back. There's no way this guy will ever, no matter what he does, no matter how productive he is, no matter how many like servants or slaves he builds, a company he builds, a farm, no chance. This guy has no ability to repay his debt. This is just the big idea that you've got to catch right now. Just like that servant's impossible to repay debt. This is how we are before God. Our sin debt. What separated us from God? It is impossible for me to repay. It is impossible for you to repay. There's no way you can repay God for the way that He's forgiven you, for the way that He has redeemed you, for the way that He has saved you. Really, other than trusting in God to forgive our sins and to build a relationship with us, we have no choice. No other chance, no other hope than to ask God to forgive us. You know, it's funny. Actually, the, the guy in the story, he says, and he like uses the word beg. He says, God, I'll repay you, I promise. I mean, I don't know if this guy is delusional or if he's just a straight-up liar because he's got to know in his heart and in his head, I'm not repaying $8 billion. But he still, he throws it out there. I think the master knows. And he doesn't say, okay, I'm not going to put you in jail. Which I never really understood that idea. Anyways, somebody owes a lot of money and then they put him in jail. Like, you're never going to get your money. Get in jail. It's not going to hurt you. Either way, now, I don't know. It seems like even today, they you know, put people in jail who owe money. I'm like, uh, in jail? Not really, like, I don't know. They pay guys who work in jail. I think they do a little bit. Like, if you, you know, like, go out and work or something like that. But you're not getting your money back. So instead of putting the guy in jail, he says, 
okay, I'm going to give you a job, and then you're going to work every day for the rest of your life, and then maybe a... No, he doesn't do that. He says, okay, then forgive me. You can go. And so he doesn't say, this is how you can work it off. This is how you can repay me. I just, I don't know how I'm going to get $8 billion out of you, but I want you to be miserable. And I want you to work for the rest of your life. And maybe you're only going to pay me back about two or $300, but I don't care. I want my money back. Nope. He tells the guy, you're free to go. Now, you would think that this dude would be like dancing in the streets. He would be running home and talking about his family. So, you know, he'd be picking up his wife. He'd be telling his kids, like, this is awesome. You know, I've forgiven him my whole debt. That's not the first thing he does. He literally walks out of the master's house, down the street, finds a guy who owes him some money. And if that bag of silver, they've kind of figured out that probably based on what it would have been, it actually would have been what sounds to us like a little ch- chunk of change, some thousands of dollars. But then again, compared to the $8 billion, it's nothing. He literally starts getting violent with the guy. He starts choking him, telling him, you need to pay me back the money you owe me. I mean, on the outside, we look at that and go, for real? You're just going to $8 billion? You're about to choke somebody because they owe you money? I mean, he doesn't even need the money to pay him back. The guy says he doesn't have to pay him back. It's pretty messed up. Instead of telling him uh, about the amazing forgiveness that he just received, he completely turns it upside down. He treats the guy with disrespect. He treats the guy with violence. It seems like you know, and like I said, the story almost like looped itself and repeated itself. The new guy, not the, the wicked sort of, but the, that guy's friend or whoever owed him money. You know, his response is the same as the original servant. He begs for patience. He says, I'll work to pay it back. But that guy doesn't even give him a chance to pay it back. He's about to choke him to death. You know, sometimes Jesus' parables are hard to understand. In fact, sometimes right after Jesus got done telling one of his parables, often... The disciples were like, uh, I don't get it. And then he would have to go and explain everything that he just said, which is kind of funny because Jesus tells parable so that it's more understandable. And this reminds me sometimes of like how dense the disciples were. I mean, these guys are fishermen who had not ever been to any religious training or no college. You know, probably literally, I, I'm guessing a lot of them didn't know how to read. And so a lot of times he would tell these parables like, All right, I'm going to make it really easy for you to understand. And they wouldn't get it. But this one? There's no thing at the end that says, now I'm going to explain it to you. Because when you hear this, your sense of fairness, your sense of justice, it twists inside of you. You know, obviously, that this is wrong. This one's hard to miss. You realize, I can't be like this guy. And if we apply that to our lives, we must allow the forgiveness that we've experienced from God to transform our hearts. Nobody in the world has the ability to forgive like one who's truly been forgiven. Let me say that again. Make sure that one lands on your heart. Nobody in the world has the ability to forgive like one who's been truly forgiven. If we build a relationship with Christ, if we let Him come into our hearts, He will enable us to forgive unconditionally and in an unlimited way. 
know in the last few weeks, Matt's talked a couple times about forgiveness, and I think there's been a few of you that have really had some, some victory with forgiveness. Some people who have hurt you, some people maybe even who are still hurting you, you've been able to let it go. But I see a few new faces here tonight, a few that maybe haven't been here for a couple weeks, or maybe even some of you who have been here, but have just kind of let that forgiveness thing just kind of go over your head a little bit. I'm going to change over the next couple minutes to really zoom in with me here. I really want you to think in perspective of your own life over the next couple minutes, and I really want you to be honest with yourself. Do not mention that some of you have been able to forgive some people who have hurt you in your life over the last couple of weeks because of some of the things that we've been looking at in the scriptures or some of Matt's teachings and things, but tonight... I really want you to look deep. And I want you to see if there has been some unforgiveness in your heart. And maybe you've actually kind of been like the servant in the parable. You know the forgiveness given to you by God. But it's been really hard to give it out to people around you who have hurt you. I know some, I know what might be stopping some of you. You know, I think it was, I think Matt said it last week. He says, but you don't know how this person's hurt me. I am not ready to forgive them yet. In fact, maybe they don't even deserve my forgiveness. I hear that phrase all the time, but you don't know what they've done to me. You know, I counsel with a student, with another guy. You know, he's been burned. She's been burned. And they're claiming this all, but you don't know how I feel. You don't know what this person's done to me. You're right. I don't know. But I do know this. As long as you don't forgive them, as long as you don't forgive them and get freedom from that, those people are going to be able to continually hurt you. And you know what? The world has started to figure this out because <laughs> you watch daytime television. Oprah was talking about it. You know, Dr. Oz is talking about it. It's, it's kind of funny to me sometimes when it takes people who don't follow God about an extra 2,000 years to figure out what God has known all along. You know, it's, it, it cracks me up sometimes. There's stuff in Scripture that doctors are just figuring out now. And this idea of forgiveness is one that people, I mean, there's, like, there's actually like a forgiveness movement that's been going on for about the last 10 years that has brought healing to families. Some of it within the church and within the center of who God is, but some of it completely outside in counseling and other things. Some of you guys are still living with some of these hurts. There's a reluctance to let it go. Sometimes we use the phrase to let someone off the hook. You know, and just like I said, when they say, you don't know how they've hurt me. You can't let them off the hook. They have hurt me too much. They've messed with me too much. I can't let them off the hook. They deserve to be treated like this. But you know what's really weird is when you don't let somebody off the hook. You know what that means? You're still hooked to them. You've got your hooks in them. If you are still hooked to them, you're on the other end of that hook. And you know, if let's say there's a couple people in the front row that have hurt me, and I want to put my hooks in them, and I literally grab onto them, I can't go anywhere without them. They're connected to me. Everything that they've done, as long as I hold on to that, I'm going to still be connected to them 
they're going to continue to hurt me. So when we use the phrase, I'm not going to let them off the hook, I'll tell you, you're not hurting them by keeping them on the hook. You know what? Sad? They probably don't even know that it hurts you. They probably don't remember. They might not even care. So I don't want you to think that I'm going to keep them on my hook. Whether this is a parent who's hurt you, a friend who's hurt you, maybe a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or whatever. Because if you think that by holding on to that unforgiveness and staying bitter, that this person is walking around going, oh no, they don't forgive me. I can't go on with my life until I get that forgiveness. They don't care. You're not hurting them. All you're letting is them keep hurting you. You're letting this unforgiveness turn into bitterness, turn into anger. Pretty soon, Life. Some of you tonight, as I've been telling a story, have started to uh, started to have some names, faces that have started to pop into your mind. You might have even been able to. Uh, you might have even been able to uh, start thinking about some certain situations, some times when some people have really hurt you. Pass these pencils out and try to get them out as quick as we can. Start some up front, some up midway. I want you guys to really search your hearts over the next couple minutes. This is kind of where we're going to close. I got a video I'm going to show in just a minute. Once you guys are going to get this paper, you can see that on the top of it, it talks about bitterness versus forgiveness. And if any of you have ever gone on one of Element's breakthrough retreats, that phrase might, might be familiar to you. And this is, uh, is going to be pretty personal. Because when people hurt us, it's always, it's always personal. So I'm just going to challenge you to, as you start thinking about what I'm going to share about this paper, that just kind of respect your neighbors honesty and their privacy over the next couple of minutes. But I want you to start listing the people's names who, when you think about, you know, I really haven't forgiven them. And maybe it's just for some little stuff. Like maybe there's that person at school that just, they treat you like crap. And you, you kind of put up with it, but inside you know you haven't forgiven them. Maybe there's like an old friend that you're not friends with them anymore. Boyfriend or girlfriend that you've broken up with. Kind of a rough breakup. There's still some unforgiveness there. If you want to get real personal, lose a family member. <coughs> parent. Your brother or sister. Maybe there's even somebody else that you know that this person is just they've messed you up a little bit. And you're still holding on to them. know that you haven't forgiven them yet. Tonight I want to give you a chance to be not like the guy in the story who knew complete and utter forgiveness from his master but then couldn't turn around and forgive his brother. Because if you have received full forgiveness from Christ if he's forgiven you of your sins he caused you 
consistent advice out of a self-help book, a counselor. This is what the scripture says to do. And tonight, as you're starting to fill that out, in just a minute, we're going to throw a video up on the screen. You guys can cue that up.
raised seven times seventy. Obviously, those are the numbers that Jesus told Peter so many times. You're supposed to forgive. A couple phrases in that story really can hit home with us. Thought that pain was here to stay. Forgiveness found a way. As you begin to write a couple names, or maybe there's one, or maybe there's ten, I don't know. To write down what they did. It's, it's actually kind of important to write down what they did because you need to own up to this, what your hurt is. To not just say, like, oh, well, yeah, that was kind of bad. You need to lay it out there. I think the guys are going to play for a couple minutes. When you really truly feel like you've finished filling this part out, prayer down there on the bottom and it's got two little empty parentheses. There's no magic in this prayer. There's no magic formula of words that I've compiled to sound perfect and to flip the switch and make everything fine. But maybe you just could use this as a guide for yourself. Because you notice that it says, Lord, I forgive and that starts right there. There's no getting around it. There's no beating around the bush. This is when you decide, I'm going to forgive. And when you're ready to read this, you know, a lot of people that have kind of gone through something like this, they've told me, they've said, you know what? When I pray this, I'm actually going to say this out loud because, you know, sometimes when you pray out loud, no, there's just something more real about it. Your mind doesn't wander. You're more focused because your mouth actually has to think about your tongue and your teeth about making the words. And it's all on purpose. Where when you're thinking, sometimes my mind goes, you know, a thousand miles a minute and a thousand directions in a minute and I lose it. When I begin to speak it, something about it becomes more real. And so maybe you want to duck off to a corner them for, this is where you begin to lay it out there. How did they hurt you? What is it that you've held on to that's made you bitter? It's made you angry? Prayer goes on. God, I choose not to hold on to any of these things or hold them against these things any longer. I thank you, God, for setting me free from bitterness toward them. freedom from this, not by holding the grudge, not by holding on to that forgiveness, not by just keeping that firm in your heart, or not by pretending it doesn't exist either. You're going to find freedom when you forgive. And then there's a bold statement after that too. This person has hurt you so much, this person that you've just Bless them in Jesus' name. Now, 
Hallelujah. We're going to forgive them. We're going to say, God, bless them. God, if they don't know you, find them, God. I don't know what it's going to be me, but do something, God. Maybe some of these people that hurt you are really far from God. I don't want to say they don't know any better, but I don't know. It's a pretty bold prayer. It starts off with a really tough act. Forgiving somebody. And it ends with another tough act. But a great one. To ask God to bless them. Sandwich right in the middle there. There's a little four-letter word there. Thank you. 